You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Get started. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Matthew uh, chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. And my friend Amy Anderson here is going to read the scripture. Hey, let's just, let's just improvise here for a second. I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, let's do it. Okay. Um, you, we had a, a fun youth event this weekend, didn't we? Tell these guys about the youth event. Um, it was an overnight. On the mic, a little closer. Lots of fun had, not a lot of sleep, um, lots of Jesus talking. Um, the girls did face masks and nail painting. I don't think the boys were so refined, um, but it was, it was really great. I think the kids had a good time. We had a really good time. What was some of the spiritual content that you guys talked about? Um, oh, Zach, this is just really fun. It I'm is. prepared for this. I knew that, your game, Amy, I know your game. Um, we really just went over, like, the gospel basics. Like, we started about talking about God as creator and loving us and then sin and brokenness and then redemption and then taking it out into the world. So we awesome. kind of covered as much as we could in 18 hours. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, James Davenport, for those of you who don't know, is doing a great job with some other leaders like Amy and um, Katie and others. Um, she's doing a great job um, leading a, a kind of a growing youth ministry here, uh, junior high, high school. And what's really cool is it's incorporating lots of other churches that are like smaller churches that don't have a youth ministry are sending them here. And so it's kind of becoming a, a broader kind of citywide thing, which has really been encouraging. So thank you for serving. We really appreciate that. And now God's word. Truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, this is God's word. This is Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Matthew 5, 17 through 20. So if you have a Bible, um, go ahead and open it up to right there. And let's pray together. Father, we need your help. And I submit that to you as we do every week. Lord Jesus, would you help us by your spirit that your word would, would be a light to our feet that it would illumine our path, that our, our way would be made straight by you. And so, Lord, we ask for your spirit now to work within your word, um, to conform us to who you call us to be as your children, uh, to look like Jesus. Would you help us do that this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, bear with me. I got this cold thing going on, so I'm going to be sipping some tea 
uh, probably a little more than I usually do, just for the sake of my voice. But right off the bat, I just want to give a heads up. Like, this text is not easy this morning. This is a trickier text, okay? And um, so I'm going to spend a lot of time, probably more than usual, just explaining what's going on here, trying to at least. And we're going to be going verse by verse through this, uh, these four verses, and see if we can have a clear understanding, hopefully, in the next few minutes. Let's look at verse 17. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Do not think that I have come to abolish. So what Jesus is doing here right off the bat is anticipating an objection. Any good orator, any person who's going to be persuasive in a public, uh, public speaking type scenario, one of the things you really want to try to do is anticipate objections, right? What are going to be the objections of people that are hearing what I'm trying to persuade them of? And how can I anticipate that in advance and address them before they even maybe come and question me. And so he's anticipating this objection. The objection would be this. Jesus, you're crazy. You're saying all this stuff about the Old Testament that we love and we respect and we revere, and you're, feeling, and you're making us feel like that you're just chucking it. Like everything that we believe is wrong, and you're just wanting to do away with the Old Testament, and you're doing your own new thing now, and that's crazy. And he's saying, you got it wrong. That's not what I'm here to do, right? I'm not here to re- disrespect the Bible. The Old Testament is the Bible that you have. At the, at the time when this was written, that's all they had was the, was the Old Testament. That was their Bible. And he's saying, I'm not going to just do away with it. But here's the thing. I'm going to take you deeper into it. I'm not here to do away with it. I'm going to take you deeper into it, okay? And he's making this staggering claim here in verse 17, that he is the means to understanding the Old Testament. It's like, you want to make sense of the Old Testament? You got to look at me. You got to understand me. You got to understand what I'm doing here in the world. Think about how radical this is, though. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. Law and the prophets is just kind of a shorthand for the Old Testament, is what uh, the biblical authors would say. It's like, I I didn't come to abolish it. No, I came to fulfill the Old Testament. Now, that's so different than being like, here's the Old Testament over here. Let me teach you about it. Like, I'm I'm removed from it, and I'm going to look at it over here, and I'm going to tell you some things about it. No, he's saying, you want to really know the Old Testament? Don't look over there. Look right here. You feel how different that is, how weighty, how much weightier and controversial that is if it's not true? He's saying, I came to fulfill the Old Testament. Now, what does that word fulfill mean? This, this, this has been a text that's been hard for me over the years, really understanding, like, what does that mean to fulfill? Well, if you've worked at all in negotiating contracts or ever had to sign a contract for anything, whether it's buying a house or whatever, we use the language of the word fulfill when we think about that. So you would say, I've fulfilled the obligations of the contract, right? The contract has been fulfilled, meaning everything that was expected when we signed that paper has now come to pass. So the contract has been fulfilled. You with me? Now notice the contrast. 
he's talking here about abolishing versus fulfilling. He's saying, I didn't come to abolish, I came to fulfill. He's saying, don't get those confused. Abolish is just chuck it, get, get it out of here, do away with it. He's like, I didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. Just render it useless. No, 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 no. He said, I'm not going to abolish it. I'm going to fulfill it. Now, for sure, there are some things that are very, very different post-Jesus, New Testament, right? But Jesus is saying that's what was the plan all along. That was the, if you'll endure the metaphor, the contractual obligation all along. The goal of the Old Testament now is achieved in me. That's what fulfillment means. This is a massive statement, if you can imagine being in the first audience of Old Testament Jewish-loving people. It says, here's the essence of what verse 17 is. I've come to fulfill what was planned a long time ago and recorded in the Old Testament. All these promises from the prophets about there's coming a day when the lion is going to lay with the lamb. Well, that started being, uh, the, the fancy term is inaugurated with Jesus. There's going to come a day when the blind will see Jesus comes with a ministry of healing. I mean, all these things that the prophets said for centuries, and Jesus is saying, those things, a lot of those things are fulfilled in me. I didn't come to blow up the Old Testament but fulfill everything that it said about the Messiah. Now, that can sound a little abstract, right? Let me just bring this in concrete terms. If you have a, a Bible, turn over to Luke chapter 4. And this is just a concrete example of what Jesus is talking about. Again, this is so powerful. If you can, if you can climb into, imaginatively climb into the text, you'll feel the weight of this. Uh, this is Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. Luke 4, 16, and he came, he being Jesus, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So this is his hometown. People know him. <clears throat> and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So you'd have a respected teacher, rabbi, stand up and read from the Old Testament in the synagogue meeting, okay? And so he was one of these guys and he had the right to read God's word from the Old Testament Verse 17, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So he's reading now from Isaiah, written many, many centuries before this took place, okay? Revered holy scripture. And he reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So everyone sitting there listening is thinking, oh, this are, these are Isaiah's words. And Isaiah's just talking about himself here, right? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Oh, he's talking about Isaiah. Isaiah's talking about himself. Verse 20, check it out. Look at what happens here. And he rolled up the scroll 
and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture, here's our word, has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now we read that and we're just like, yeah, whatever. Now this would have been like an earthquake or an explosion that happened in that synagogue meeting. Like you don't stand up and read the prophet Isaiah from 700 years before, holy scripture, and you say, and guess what? It was all about me. This word is about me. Like if I did that, you would fire me as you should, right? But I'm not Jesus. Jesus can do that. But don't miss, this is revolutionary. Like this is a staggering claim. Either Jesus is God and he is who he says he is and he's worthy of all adoration and worship and for you to give your life to him or he's crazy. Like you don't do this. Delusional. Off the chart delusional. So they're, they're sitting there going, this is... About you, Jesus? You're saying that you fulfill these words of Isaiah? You are fulfilling them right now in this place, like in real time? Like the promise is being fulfilled? And he's saying, yeah, he doesn't blush. He tells them the truth. And so I bring that up because this is a snapshot of what he's trying to get across in our text for today in Matthew chapter 5. He's saying the Old Testament the law and the promises of the prophets, all that they said would happen in the future is fulfilled in Jesus. And this is just one example. There's tons of others all throughout Matthew. And we're going to see in the book of Matthew as we continue to journey in the coming months that you'll see Matthew say, this happened because the scripture had to be fulfilled. Jesus did this because the scripture had to be fulfilled. So, I want you to be dialed into this language of fulfillment. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And so Jesus is just simply saying, when you read the Old Testament, remember Jesus and his life is what the Old Testament was longing for. Okay? Now we're going to continue to unpack that this morning, but just hold that thought, okay? Verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets Again, don't think that I've come to abolish the Old Testament. I've not come to abolish it or them, but to fulfill them. Verse 18. For truly I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Okay, so he's, he's trying to underscore here. The Old Testament is precious. It's precious. Right? we got to take it seriously, right? But the key operative word is this last word in verse 18, the word accomplished. That's just another way of saying fulfilled, okay? So what Jesus is saying here, if you look at verse 18, is that nothing from the Old Testament is going to be just cast aside until this work of fulfillment that Jesus is doing in his life, death, and resurrection is accomplished, comes to past, okay? So let me give you an example. 
um, of this like being accomplished, of Jesus saying like there's a work that I'm going to accomplish, and so nothing's going to pass away from the Old Testament until I accomplish it. So here's one example of Jesus' accomplishing work of the Old Testament, so then things get to be passed away or get to be pushed to the side. In the Old Testament, there was this centuries-long thing called the sacrificial system. And so the way that it worked, if you're not familiar with ancient Jewish practices from the Old Testament, is that God just commanded his people, for you to f- receive forgiveness from me, I want you to take uh, various animals, maybe a sheep or a goat, and I want you to sacrifice it for me. And that's going to function in a lot of ways. Number one, it's going to teach you that sin is very serious. The Bible says that forgiveness requires the shedding of blood. Why is that? Well, what that shows us is that sin is very serious, and it deserves to be punished. But in this punishment of an animal in your place, like it should have been you, but God just simply chooses to receive this animal in your place, you're reminded that it should have been you, that my sin is very, very serious, and that wrath has to get poured out on sin, or God is not just. But at the same time, God is so merciful. And so he provides a way for sinners to receive forgiveness, but wrath still to be poured out, and for sinners to be reminded, that should have been me, that should have been me, but my God is gracious, and he's provided a way of escape. That that was the Old Testament sacrificial system. So century after century after century, animals killed, sinners reminded, it should have been us, but this is our substitute. This is our substitute. Our God is holy, and he deals with sin, and sin has to be punished, but he's also merciful, and he's loving, and provides a way of escape from the wrath of God. That was the Old Testament sacrificial system. And so you want, another, you, want to, you want to have a front row seat to another kind of explosive moment in Jesus' life? It was, the, it was right here. He's walking out one day, and John the Baptist sees him, and what does he say about Jesus? He says, behold, like, look, take notes, the Lamb of God. So he equates Jesus with an animal, but not just any animal, the Lamb. And what was a Lamb? A Lamb was one of the primary modes of sacrifice in the Old Testament. And, and John the Baptist says, this is the lamb of God. This isn't just any normal lamb. This is God's lamb, meaning this is God's sacrifice. And how did a sacrifice function in the ears of someone hearing that for the first time who loved the Old Testament and understood the sacrificial system? They saw this as the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is the final, ultimate sacrifice. That's what John the Baptist was saying because he said this, behold the Lamb of God, who does what? Who takes away the sin of the world. So how is sin taken away? Sin is taken away through sacrifice. And John the Baptist just said, this is the Lamb of God and he will take away your sin. So in a moment we see it took a little while, but in a moment, we could see the, the sacrificial system done away with. We don't slay animals anymore on a Sunday morning. Why? Because Jesus has come. But it says in the Old Testament, the Old Testament law says that we we're supposed to, we're supposed to like slay animals for forgiveness of sin. Yeah, Jesus said, that's accomplished. 
Nothing's going to pass away unless it's been accomplished. That's a peace that's been accomplished. You guys with me? I know it's a little all over the place, you know, helping us put the, make sense of the Bible. But, but this is one of those things that you have to understand to make sense of your Bible. There are certain things that Jesus has accomplished. And the Old Testament sacrificial system is one of them. So he's saying, nothing's going to pass away unless I accomplish it. And this is just one example. Okay, there's more we could give you. I just want you to see that and feel that this morning, okay? So Jesus says, nothing's going to pass away from the Old Testament until I accomplish it, right? Now, we need to be careful because there are certain strains in church history and even in modern-day Christianity where the emphasis kind of is like we're just a New Testament-only Christianity. And... And that can be tempting for some people. A lot of people think the Old Testament is all about wrath and judgment. The New Testament is all about nice Jesus, you know, and, you know, warm and fuzzy and, and just all about forgiveness and turn the other cheek. And that's, that's a gross, gross simplification. That's just indicative that we're not good interpreters of the Bible, okay? So be careful when you hear, eh, Old Testament, we don't need it. No, let, let this text this morning kind of help us have nuance Help us have understanding. Jesus said there's certain things we don't need anymore, but there's certain things that show you the heart of God crystal clear. Okay? So we have to be good students of the Bible here. And that's a longer sermon or a different sermon for a different day. But I just want want to show this from the text. This is what Jesus is getting at. There's certain things that are never going to pass away. There's certain things that will pass away. And so he's calling us to hear from him and be good students of the Bible and of interpretation. Okay, let's keep reading because he he keeps kind of building on this. Verse 19, therefore, whoever relaxes one of these, one of the least of these commandments, meaning whoever just is all laissez-faire with the Bible, like just, I'm just going to use the Bible and relax it however I want to. Whoever's just a sloppy interpreter is kind of what he's saying here. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and, and impacts others with this teaching. See what he says here? And teaches others to do the same. What's going to happen? Well, they will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So he's talking about his commandments. He's talking about his word. He's talking about the heartbeat of God that's reflected in the Old Testament. And he understands his audience. Many in his audience at this time that we'll see throughout the book of Matthew are people that love to relax the commandments. The Pharisees, the scribes, they were in the habit of just interpreting the Old Testament to fulfill their selfish desires, right? And Jesus is saying, you can't do that. You can't relax the Old Testament unless... You understand that there's certain things that I've accomplished. There's certain things that I've fulfilled. In that sense, we do relax or put those things away because the contract has been fulfilled. The fulfillment has come, right? Like the Old Testament sacrificial system like we just talked about. But here's the nuance. Like, we're called, see in verse 19, to have a teaching ministry, right? The assumption is that we're going to take God's word seriously and have a teaching ministry, like, those who teach, you can teach it good or you can teach it bad. And he's saying if you relax the Old Testament or don't interpret it correctly and just play fast and loose with it, that's a bad teaching ministry. 
But if you take me seriously and understand what I've accomplished and what I haven't and the difference, that's a good teaching ministry. And then you'll be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Right? So this is greatness as, as, as Jesus defining it here. It's understanding God's word, being faithful to, 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 to handle the word rightly, understand who Jesus is, and he's the one that gets to interpret the Old Testament for us. So, so we go to Jesus, say, Jesus, through your ministry that we see you doing right now as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as that which is perfectly righteous, the righteous that we can't relate to or have, and you give it to us by faith, that's all going to help us interpret the Old Testament and make sense of it and then teach it right so that we can be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So teaching ministry is always going to be a part of the church. That's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples doing what? Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. So when we go, we go with the Bible. And a lot of people say, that's Old Testament. It's crazy. I don't know how to make sense of it. We're like, okay, slow down, right? There's a lot we can talk about there. It might take us a little while, but that's just the journey of discipleship. There's certain things in the Old Testament that, yeah, are weird, and we, we want to help you figure it out. And Jesus is the key to unlock the Old Testament. That's what Jesus is saying here this morning. That's what he's saying about how our teaching should be understood, okay? And a big part of understanding the Old Testament and the New Testament is this whole concept of righteousness. How is it that we are made right with God, right? God is holy and we're not. There's a problem there. And that problem needs to be resolved, that's resolved through righteousness. How are you going to get righteousness? How are you going to get perfection? God can only receive perfection. How are you going to get it? Well, Jesus leaves his audience hanging here a little bit. So we got to fill in the gaps. And I won't leave you hanging this morning. But let's see what he says here. Verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, again, we've talked a lot about Jesus' shocking statements this morning. This is another one. Well, why? Because for the original audience, a scribe and a Pharisee, these guys were the religious elite. A scribe would have been someone who was the ultimate student of the Bible, kind of like a seminary professor. They, they handled the Old Testament. They interpreted it, and they taught it. These guys were the scholars, and a Pharisee were those that were very, very excited and motivated about living a life of adherence to what the scribes taught. So they sat at the feet, or they, they might have listened to the, the seminary professor, and they're like, yeah, and we're going to build on that, and we're going to be really serious about it. We're going to add all the stuff to it called a, a oral tradition, and we're going to be as rigorous and rigid as possible to try to earn our righteousness, to show God that how serious we are. We're just going to keep this law. And so everybody looked at these people. It's like, man, these guys are it. These guys are the pinnacle. No one can hang with them. Like, they got it all together. And Jesus comes along and says, you got to exceed them or you're out. He says, these guys are out. You're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven unless you exceed where these guys are at. You got to do better. 
So that's a, that's a weighty statement. You can hear his audience probably has a pregnant pause like, uh. Well, thankfully, we have more of the Bible that helps us understand what Jesus is talking about. And he's not talking about a quantity of obedience. He's talking about a quality and a kind of obedience. Okay? He's talking about a different method. A different approach to law keeping. One that understands that Jesus is the centerpiece of the Old Testament law. One that understands that Jesus is the key to unlocking interpreting the Bible rightly. See, listen to what Jesus says to these guys. You'll see it on the screen. This is a great summary of what Jesus is trying to get at. He says to these guys, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. So he's talking to scribes and Pharisees and he's saying, I know you guys are Bible guys. I know you're into the word. I know you read it, memorize it. So that you can have eternal life. And he says, and it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. He's like, you search the Bible for the point of it, and the point is standing right in front of you. And you're missing it. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He said, you guys don't understand the Bible like you think you do. See, they were pursuing their righteousness apart from seeing their need for a savior. To stand in their place as the ultimate sacrifice for their sin. See, these guys were trying to read their Bible and then just achieve righteousness through sheer efforts on their own. But see, the kind of righteousness that Jesus has in mind is a righteousness that is given as a gift. It's a gift of grace. It, it happens as a transfer. Just like a father giving a gift to a child on, on a Christmas morning. It happens when you come to the end of yourself. When you look at your life and go, you know what? As hard as I may try, I'm never going to be perfectly righteous. I just can't do it. I've, I've, I've banged my head against that ceiling too many times. I've come to the end of myself. And Jesus, I turn to you now. I see you as the one who is perfectly righteous. You perfectly kept the law. And that's not within my grasp. And when you come to him in repentance and faith, trusting him, not your own efforts, he says, I am willing. I am willing to be gracious. I'm willing to be that lamb of God that will take away your sin. I will bear the wrath and you will get the escape. But see, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were trying to do it differently. They were trying to do it from the outside in instead of from the inside out, right? And this shouldn't have been a new concept because they knew the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament say? One of the most famous prayers in the whole Bible is in Psalm 51. And listen to what David says. He essentially says, 
God, you don't give a rip about externals. You care about the heart. Look at what it says. He says, God, you don't delight in sacrifice, like all this burnt offerings and stuff. Those are external things. He's like, you don't care about sacrifice or delight in it, or I would bring it. He said, you don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. All this external stuff, all these rituals that we do, they're good if the heart is right. But if the heart's not right, they're meaningless. Here's what God cares about. The sacrifices of God, the real religious experience, the real external, isn't external at all. It's internal. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. That's internal. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. See, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they had all this external going on. Just this veneer of righteousness. But their heart was black because they didn't see Jesus and come to him. They're just focused on appearances, just keeping up appearances. I go to the temple, I do my sacrifices, I go to the temple and I give my money, I wear the right clothes, I carry around the scripture, I've got all the right religious costume on, I got all the externals down. You ask me a Bible question, I will answer it. I'm going to keep up these appearances at all costs. See, so many of us join them, and we feel like we got this external thing down just fine. But we ignore this hardness in our heart. Why is that? Why is it that we have a, just like a stereotype of Christianity in our culture that's just, yeah, those Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. It's all surfacy. It's all nicey-nicey until you get to know them. I don't feel like anybody's really that real. Like, can I really confess my sin? What's going to happen? Like, that's the stereotype in a lot of places of Christianity. May it not be so with the vine. May it not be so with mass and multiply. May it not be so anywhere. Jesus hates that. He hates that. Just trying to maintain appearances. Just make sure everybody knows that I'm righteous. Well, God knows that you're not. God knows that God sees everything. Listen to how he talked to these scribes and Pharisees. It was just all about keeping up appearances and this faux righteousness. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside. They got everything's taken care of on the outside, power washed, no debris, dust, looks good. The curb appeal is good until you get inside the house. There's skeletons everywhere. That's gross. That's disgusting. That's what he says. But on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So he's saying, you got to have a righteousness that's beyond. You want to exceed the righteousness, like verse 20, of the scribes and the Pharisees? It's got to be beyond appearances. And so let me help you out. And so what we're going to see in the next few weeks is Jesus helping them out. So here's what I mean. You know the anger you got in your heart we're going to talk about next week? 
it's not just never losing your temper in public. It's like, what's going on in your heart? And you know, like that woman that you think is beautiful, yeah, you've never cheated on her. You never laid a hand on her. But I know what goes on in your brain when you think about her. Like, that's beyond appearances. This is the heart. Jesus is going to get about to get surgical on us. It's good. We need it. That's the only way that we can come to terms with a righteousness that he's looking for. It's not just appearances, right? It's not just appearances. But here's the good news. Let me give you some good news. And we got to interpret this scripture this morning in light of the rest of scripture. <clears throat> But God promises to help us. If you feel like you're lacking this morning, you're like, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm presenting a veneer of having it all together, and there's garbage in my heart that most people don't know about. Take comfort this morning. The Bible says that God wants to help you. If you come to him and repent of your sin, he promises to help you. And how does he help us? He helps us by the third person of the Godhead called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Look at what the prophet said about the Holy Spirit hundreds of years before the Holy Spirit would be poured out. It says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your, all your idols. I will give you a new heart. Not one that's just all about externals. No, like a really inward, like a good new heart. And put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone that wants to just be all about appearances and manage the situation. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh that's authentic, that's real. And here's the deal. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. See how that's not external in? That's inside out. He's saying there's going to come a day when the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out and you're going to become a new creation because you're in Christ. You're going to repent of your sin, receive Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit, and then all of a sudden right there, the surgery starts. Where the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, I see that anger in there. Man, we're going to, we're going to get in there, we're going to do some surgery. And when, from the inside out, we're going to start working on that. Because, the, because that anger that no one sees, man, we, can't, we, can't, we can't have that. We can have that. And it's going to be a process, and there's grace, grace upon grace along the way, but we're going to be a process, the Holy Spirit alive in you, to, to, to make this righteousness come out from the inside out, a righteousness that pleases God. Because it's not, a, it's not a righteousness of your own. It's a righteousness that's a gift of God. The he, is there anything in this Ezekiel text about us? No, he says, I will do it. I will do it. I will do it. You just sit back and receive. You receive, God's, God's spirit wrote this book. You, you soak it up and you receive, it changes us. So that's how you get a righteousness beyond the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus is talking about. So we have to see this text in light of what will come to pass a few months after Jesus said this, the giving of the Holy Spirit, the giving of the new heart, the giving of righteousness that's not of your own. It's just a gift. You have to work for it. You just receive it and it happens. And then you're blown away by grace and then you want it. God no longer is your slave master or you're not fearing judgment. No, he's your father and he loves you. So his commands then, the Old Testament or whatever, 
they're not, you don't follow them like a slave. You follow them out of joy because, I mean, this is my father. He loves me. He died for me. He saved me. And so what he says makes sense. I don't want to do it. And when I fail, I'm going to return to repentance and know that he forgives me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I can pick myself up again and start over. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a son or daughter of condemnation. I'm a child of the king who laid down his life for me. And so grace upon grace changes my heart from the inside out by the Holy Spirit who lives there. So let me just sum up and we'll be done. This, is, this morning, this text is not a call to get to work or be fearful like the Pharisees and the scribes. It's just a call to see Jesus all over the Old Testament. And we've got to interpret it in light of what Jesus said and what he did. So we don't throw it away. We just need to be good Bible interpreters. And that's a pro- if you feel this morning like, oh, it's over my head. It's a huge book. I don't know what to do. It's a process, man. We're all in this together. That's why we have city group. That's why we have community. That's why we do this together, okay? And then we teach the Bible to one another and to those that don't know it. With all this in mind, make disciples. And we understand that the religious leaders, they had it all wrong. They didn't understand righteousness as a result of Jesus' work. They wanted righteousness as something they could achieve and earn. And Jesus is saying, don't do it that way. Righteousness is going to come through faith and repentance. Given as a, and and, and, and um, righteousness is given as a gift. When you call out to God and say, I need you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. And Jesus is the centerpiece. Jesus is the key of all of this happening. See him as the centerpiece of this Bible in your life. And when that happens, you receive the Holy Spirit so that your righteousness starts to flow out of your life, out of your identity, out of who you are, credited as a gift of God. Let's pray. Father, would you help us understand your word rightly? Would you help us live in light of what you've done for us? And we thank you for these words and how you promised to never leave us or forsake us and to help us. May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen.